0: covering all aspects of milwaukee brewers baseball it's time for brewers extra innings the podcast here is your host matt Pauley.
1: it is time for another edition of brewers extra innings the podcast powered by wtmj mobile my name is matt Pauley. thanks so much for being tuned in have a full program coming up this week Featured conversations with uh, Tony Bedock. If you are uh, in the Milwaukee area, you probably recognize that name from uh, WTMJ. He is uh, one of the news anchors and reporters for WTMJ, but also a big baseball guy. We just have a fun baseball conversation with Tony Bedock that's going to be coming up here in just a little while. And it is week two with Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball as we go through Double uh, A AA and Triple A of the Brewers minor league system. Let's get our housekeeping items out of the way as we tend to do here at the top of the podcast. If you listen via Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking and review, that's great. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, that is also great. And sometimes you get little bonus items when you subscribe to the podcast. Like if we do a player interview with uh, somebody on the Brewers Extra Innings Post Game Show or when we have the Brewers Weekly Show, things like that. They just sort of pop into your uh podcast app whether uh, wherever you happen to listen to it so subscribing is something that can be uh, beneficial to you or you just continue to listen to it at wtmj.com that's awesome and you stop by every once in a while even not on mondays to see if anything has uh, popped in there follow me on twitter i generally make note of anything that uh, is there speaking of following me on twitter Love all the follows at Matt Pawley on air. M a t t p a u l e y on air. If you want to reach out to me, that's generally the best place to do it. As uh, I, I try to be good about getting back to people, I'm not always a hundred percent at it. If I'm, I'm never. I don't think I ever intentionally ignore people unless they're just being very mean or mean spirited towards me. But for the most part, if you don't hear back from me, it's an oversight more than anything else. And uh, I appreciate everybody who wants to uh, talk Brewers with me on Twitter. It's a whole lot of fun. Uh, As mentioned on the podcast this week, Tony Beddock's going to be coming up in just a few minutes during our social media conversation and Brad Ford later on. This has been kind of a weird last week for the Brewers when you really look at everything that's happened. You know, the Brewers were playing some not-so-great baseball. When we were talking last week they were at a bit of a low point. They just lost two of three at home to the San Francisco Giants, and they were getting ready for a series against the Atlanta Braves, and the Braves are really good. And at some point during the course of the week, I don't remember exactly what day it was, David Stern speaking to the media, the Brewers' general manager, he essentially said that they're not committed to being buyers. That. He wanted to see how the team played down the stretch through the month of July leading into the 31st trade deadline to decide if this team was going to be buyers, be sellers, or just stand pat. And I thought that was interesting because I, I believe, and I think a lot of people believe, that this Brewers team has the ability and has the potential to go on a pretty solid run and still make some noise in the playoffs and maybe knock a team or two off. They're, they're very. there's a lot of people who were on last year's squad who are on this year's team. And uh, obviously there's some flaws on this team. When we were talking last week, we had seen some major big-time letdowns from the bullpen, but you felt like maybe a bullpen addition or two, and this team was right there doing what they needed to do to really be in the thick of things in the National League. So Stearns makes those comments, and then what happens next? The Brewers take two of three from the Braves, they go on the road, and they take three of four from the Arizona Diamondbacks. And it should be noted the bullpen, and I've been somewhat critical of the bullpen. I feel like that's the one area on the team that really needed upgrading, especially prior to uh, the, the events of Sunday, which we'll get to here in just a moment. Uh, before what happened on Sunday, I was of the belief that the Brewers really – needed to focus on the bullpen as the way to make the team better. I was comfortable with the starting pitching at the time. So the good news is the Brewers are playing good baseball. Bullpen is pitching well. They covered six innings on Sunday without giving up a run. They covered five innings on Saturday without giving up a run. Everything's going pretty well. Except, and this is a big except, their all-star pitcher in Brandon Woodruff goes down with an injury. Depending on when you are listening to this podcast, you might already know more information than I am going to uh, pass along to you. Uh, But at this point, it's an oblique injury, and he's on the injured list, and uh, they're going to do some exams. I think it's an MRI that he's going to have coming up on Monday, and they'll have more of an idea. A very minor oblique injury, you can be out maybe for the minimum time on the injured list. If it's a more serious oblique injury, and most are a little bit more serious, It's upwards of six weeks, and one of the things is you got to be really careful with it because it's one of those injuries that you can re-aggravate very easily. If you push it more than you need to push it, it's very easy to kind of reset back to where you were when the injury first occurred. So it's a lot about just sort of sitting back and waiting for the thing to heal. I think that changes things for David Stearns. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe he's so disciplined, and I think he is incredibly disciplined, and I think it's very much a compliment of David Stearns. Maybe he is so disciplined in the way that he does things, it doesn't really change the way he's looking at things right now. But when when Sunday started, my thought process was, if I if you've got the option of getting one relief pitcher and one starting pitcher or the option of getting two relief pitchers, Take the two relief pitchers. I thought uh, I thought bullpen pitching was a whole lot more important and more of a need than starting pitching. If Brandon Woodruff's going to be out for six weeks, and we don't know, again, I'm talking to you on Sunday night is when I'm recording this, but if it's going to be a, an injury of upwards of six weeks, we're talking about the rest of July and all of August and maybe into September, I think the team maybe needs to be more willing to make a move in terms of starting pitching, just to cover that. And you'll, you'll figure everything out later on. In the short term, makes sense to put Adrian Hauser back in the rotation, and that hurts the bullpen a little bit. But Hauser seemed to be coming along in the rotation. And I, he's not Brandon Woodruff, but it's a nice, nice player to have on the roster. But what happens moving forward without Brandon Woodruff, depending on how long he's not going to be available, and then how the organization handles that, and whether or not they go make a trade, I think that's something to really keep an eye out for here over the next week and a half as we continue to get closer and closer and closer to the trade deadline. should be noted, and I'll remind you of this again here in just a moment, my conversation with Tony Beddock, we actually recorded that prior to Brandon Woodruff getting injured. So I think at one point I might even have said what I just said about Uh, wanting to see the team go acquire more relief pitching than starting pitching, I kind of backpedal off that now as compared to to when the interview took place because of Brandon Woodruff. So keep that in mind while you listen to the Tony Beddock interview that this interview actually took place prior to the game on Sunday, not after the game on Sunday. And then after that, Brad Ford is going to uh, join us as uh, he is going to be with us for Down on the Farm Report. This is Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. All right, one more reminder before we get into uh, this conversation that I've got with uh, Tony Beddock with uh, WTMJ News. We recorded this interview prior to the game on Sunday, not after the game on Sunday. Generally, we do interviews after the game's On Sunday, But quite honestly, with the Brewers playing a 3 o'clock game as opposed to a 1 o'clock game on Sunday, had to kind of uh, change some plans around to be able to get uh, everything done. So we talked with Tony prior to the game on Sunday. Clearly, Brandon Woodruff getting injured is about as big of a story as exists with the Brewers right now. We do not touch on that in this interview because it had not happened yet at the time of the interview. All that being said, this is my conversation with Tony Beddock
0: after every brewers game signing an announcement bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take now we bring them all together it's the social media roundtable and it starts now Brewers X-Train,
1: the podcast is powered by wtmj mobile it is time for our social media conversation which has kind of morphed recently into just me bringing my friends on the podcast <laughs> and talking about the brewers which works out well and we bring in people of course from all the uh, great podcast and blog sites and everything out there but today we're bringing in a WTMJ guy, a news personality for WTMJ, news anchor, reporter, Tony Beddock. We call it the Social Media Conversation, so let's give out his Twitter account. It's at Beddock 10 T-B-E-T-T-A-C-K-10. Hi, Tony. How are you? I'm
2: doing well, Matt. Thanks for having me.
1: Glad to have you. Uh, the biggest conversation right now surrounding the Brewers, buyers or sellers. I've been on record saying, buy, buy, buy. This is a team that still has an opportunity to go on a run. Where do you stand on that?
2: I think they absolutely do have uh, that opportunity to go on a run. I think it's easy to say that they can be buyers. It's just dependent on whether the market materializes for that. I, obviously, you need some pitching help, whether it be the bullpen or the starting rotation. Um, is, in terms of just the standpoint, buyers or sellers, I think absolutely you have to be buyers. I think they're proving it. I mean, a little bit of a slow start in that San Francisco series coming after the All-Star break, but they're putting together a nice uh, home series against the Atlanta Braves. They're doing well on the road in Arizona this weekend, and you've got a big stretch coming up, and obviously that July 31st deadline is kind of taking on a unique twist, uh, being the only trade deadline this year. But But I guess to answer your question, I I fully see this team as a buying team.
1: I was just talking about this. I I just ramped up a Brewers warm-up. We're recording this uh, prior to the Sunday late afternoon game and the finale between the Brewers and the Diamondbacks. I really believe that Brewers fans need to be rooting against the teams that are just kind of sticking around in the playoff race. And, you know, the teams that are like four and a half to six games out of a wild card spot, the Pirates, the Rockies, the Padres, the Mets, and the Reds, because you can be a buyer, but if there's not sellers, it doesn't matter if you're a buyer. So some of these teams that are just kind of sticking around, it'd be nice if they really fell off before the deadline.
2: And some of those teams have those intriguing players they could really look at up and down the roster and think, oh, that'd be a good piece for a team that's looking to make this stretch a postseason run. And uh, one that comes to mind immediately, you look at San Francisco and Madison Baumgartner, Will Smith. But San Francisco, as you mentioned, the team that's just kind of hanging around, I'm not sure. I think they're only a couple games back out of the wild card. They're in that middle uh, mix fighting for those spots. But you, you hit the nail on the head where you've got these teams that are you look at the record and say, well, you're maybe not too far out where you can still make a push, maybe hold on to these assets, and if you are a Brewers fan, that's where you want those teams to kind of fall off in these next couple of weeks before you make that move.
1: I think the San Francisco situation is a very interesting and unique one because you have Bruce Bochi yep. who's in his final year there, and he's done so many great things for that organization, clearly, where if you're any of those other teams that I mentioned, if you fall off, I think it's easy to sell, But if the Giants are sticking around, do you owe it to Bruce Bochy? To keep that team intact and give him a shot to potentially finish off his career in the postseason?
2: I think you almost have to, just given what he's been able to accomplish with the the franchise cornerstones. You think of Madison Baumgartner, you think of Buster Posey. And just sending him off, he's, he's made it clear this is his last year, kind of right off into the sunset. Maybe have enough for one push. Obviously, things could change in these next couple of weeks. But if you are San Francisco, you're still going to get... Uh, it's hard to say goodbye to a player that's meant so much to your franchise, that's brought you three world championships, and uh, a manager that's helped kind of oversee that all. And it is really unique, and a lot of these teams that are maybe kind of wavering on the on the buyer-seller market might not have that same kind of opportunity.
1: We'll get back to the Brewers in a second, but since I have you and we're kind of going down this path mm-hmm. of looking around the National League, you're someone that follows the Braves yep. very closely. Uh, The Dodgers are clearly the class of the National League. It seems like the Braves have established themselves as the second-best team in the National League. Do you think there's still, though, a a wide gap between the Dodgers and the Braves?
2: I think so. I'm remembering back to their series they played in L.A. earlier this season. The Dodgers swept them, and L.A. at home is a team that— it, they pitch well, they hit well, they do all three phases extremely well, and their team, that's the defending National League champions. They, they won the pennant last year, so I think there's a lot of catch-up that these other National League teams need to do in order to set their sights on L.A. Um, it's looking like the postseason will go through Chavez Ravine this year again. It, it, it's It's... One of those tricky things like you you look to see what they can add uh, versus some of the teams that might be lagging behind. And I think that's where an opportunity like the deadline can really make up some ground, maybe compete with uh, the Dodgers. Uh, They've got a fantastic starting rotation, and it's tough to go toe-to-toe with. Um, I don't see any other NL team that can match up maybe with their starting pitchers right now. But that's where the deadline can come can play a pretty big role, and but you might have to give up a lot of assets in order to try to level the playing field, I guess you could say.
1: For the first time this year, there's some separation in the NL Central. The Cubs are on a pretty good roll right now. They've won eight of their last ten, as we talk. Cardinals have won six of their last ten. They're playing better baseball. We know about the Brewers as well, while the Pirates they are four and six in their last ten. The Reds are three and seven uh, in their last ten. Do you think that it's going to stay this way, that there's going to be a clear top to the division with three teams and a clear bottom of the division with the Pirates and the Reds.
2: Just thinking about it, it almost has to, you you might think, but just the way that things have shaken out so far, it's not necessarily been the case. But I think that's where the Brewers are set up for that kind of long-haul You always hear baseball is a marathon, not a sprint, and I think the Brewers are set up well in that regard. I'm not sure that Cincinnati will be able to keep pace. I don't think Pittsburgh either. You're going to see, I think, the Cubs, the Brewers, and the Cardinals kind of emerge. At least maybe have that separator in terms of the top half and the bottom half. Um, But it's kind of a unique. The NL Central is kind of a fun division that we've seen shape up. Uh, Very competitive, even though it might not be the best baseball that we've seen uh, all the teams play. I mean, a couple of them kind of scuffling before the All-Star break, but as they start to turn it on now uh, for this home stretch of the season I think it'll be definitely one of the more intriguing races in baseball.
1: I'm surprised by the Reds record. I've wa- you know watching the Brewers on an everyday basis clearly I've seen the Reds a lot and they seem like a really good team and the, you know the run differential is mm-hmm. plus 29 which is second in the National League Central only the Cubs at plus 70 are better. I don't I don't understand why the Reds have the worst record in the division. They seem like they should be so much better from a record standpoint than they are. That's one of the
2: things too. Uh, on paper, you you look up and down their lineup. They got some guys that can hit the ball. They've got a ballpark that's very friendly to hitters, like like they are. But it's just one of those things that it, I, I personally don't have an answer to. <laughs> but uh, they're, they're a team that you would think, uh, even with the addition of Yasiel Puig, he's, he's put a jolt into their lineup. But it's just something that they haven't been able to put it together uh, top to bottom yet.
1: Brewers offensively, it was, a, it was a struggle. I think it was inconsistent for a while. And that had a lot to do with Travis Shaw struggling, mm-hmm. Jesus Aguilar. Well, now you have Keston Hero who's been really good. You have, at first base... Jesus Aguilar has come on a bit, Eric Thames has played well, that's kind of a platoon over at first base, they're they're doing good enough. I'm very comfortable with what this offense has the ability to do. I don't think they're going to make a move for for a hit or anything, but where where do you stand offensively? Because it seems like they are scoring more runs recently, and that should be something that is sustainable.
2: And it looks like Keston Harris kind of figuring it out too at that lineup. He provides such a unique spark to the club that, I mean, he's got some pop in his bat, but he's also shown that he can uh, stay consistent and hit for average, hit those line drives, take it the other way if he needs to. And you've got Travis Shaw who's really turning it in AAA if you ever need that additional Bench uh, depth that you could see. Four C calling up here as they make that stretch run. Offense, I think they're they're pretty set. You've got Yelich, obviously, does what he does. The MVP race again. You've got Mustakas who's really doing well. Uh, Grandal's providing some protection there in the middle of the order. Overall, I th- I think their offense should be. Set should be capable to produce runs when they need it in the postseason or for this stretch run. It's just whether or not the pitching will hold up. You've seen some flashes, some good starts out of the rotation. The bullpens had some question marks here and there. Again, it's that consistency issue that you mentioned. But overall, I think they're pretty. They're set up in a very formidable way. It's just you haven't quite seen the same results as you have uh, the last year's magical run.
1: I'll finish you off with this topic, and you mentioned Keston here and Travis Shaw and. I think of everything that plays out moving forward, that's maybe the thing I'm most interested in is Shaw's killing it at AAA. Mm-hmm. He can't keep doing that and stay down there. At some point in time, the issue is going to be forced where he has to be brought up. I don't know what that ends up looking like. You know, Tyler. A lot of people say, oh, well, send Tyler Saladino down and get Travis Shaw back up. Then the question presents itself, who plays shortstop when Orlando Arcia isn't? You have to have somebody else who can play shortstop. And right now, the only two guys on the roster who can play shortstop are Orlando Arcia and Tyler Saladino. You have a twenty five man roster. You're limited to the twenty five men. I don't know what the move looks like, and how this roster can have both a Keston Hira and a Travis Shaw, and Keston here is not going anywhere.
2: No, that's, that's for sure. And it, it might come down to whether Shaw is that piece that can get you a guy that can contribute in the rotation or the bullpen, whether it be through the trade market. Or if you keep him up, you've got that – bolstered bench step. But again, as you mentioned, you've got the issue of there's just not enough space to play any everybody on the field, especially in the infield. So it'll be definitely one of the more unique challenges that general manager David Stearns and even manager Craig Council will have in terms of integrating these guys. But I don't foresee Shaw being in the minors too much longer if he continues to mash like he is. And it'll be a unique thing to watch coming up over here.
1: Do you really think he has that much trade value, though? Because... He hasn't done it at the big league level this year. That's, that's the problem. I know he's got a track record, and I'm not trying to poo-poo what he's done previously, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, this year, in Major League Baseball, Travis Shaw has not hit.
2: Is it worth throwing in? Is, is, do you evaluate him more like a throw-in piece to, to get a deal done? But do you, a okay,
1: not to cut you off, sure. but you have club control on Shaw. He's been a 30-plus home run guy— isn't he more valuable staying inside of your organization than just being a throw-in? Like, if you're going to trade him, you need to get something for him. But yep. he's not somebody that you can get something for. It's kind of a catch twenty-two.
2: Yeah, it really is. It, it depends if you can find a right suitor, maybe an AL club looking for somebody that is, knows that he can do that kind of production. It it might. It depends. I guess how talent evaluators do evaluate a guy like Shaw. It's tricky. I think he'd be worth something if I'm a team looking to add a little bit of a bat to my lineup uh, if you're looking for major league talent in return to maybe some prospects as well but uh it's it's tricky
1: it's 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 gonna be tough (laughs) for david Stearns uh if travis shaw does come back because we don't know what the roster would look like tony this is fun we'll do it again some other time sounds
2: good thanks man
0: The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm.
1: Brewers X-Train is the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our Down on the Farm segment. Now, we're going to kind of vamp here at the start. We're bringing, bringing uh, Brad Ford back on. Of course, he was on last week. We always, as we go through the course of a baseball season, we check in with Brad couple two three times a year and do a full look at the brewers minor league system and this year we're turning those into two-part conversations so we can really uh get a little bit deeper than we did last year that being said Uh, You were just listening, and you heard our social media conversation, a conversation that was recorded prior to the Brewers game on Sunday, so it doesn't even include arguably the biggest news of the week, and that was Brandon Woodruff going down with an oblique injury. So before we even get to the minor league stuff, just to cover all the bases here on the podcast as we welcome Brad Ford on, we're going to talk major leagues for just a quick second. And, Brad, I want to talk to you about Brandon Woodruff because – Uh, He's out. He's got an oblique injury. We'll learn more on Monday. So, by the time people are listening to this podcast, maybe there's a chance we know more. If it's a very no big deal injury, then maybe he's out for two weeks. Oblique injuries can last upwards of six weeks. They are tough to deal with because you can't push it at all. And if it's not quite ready to go and you push it, you can re aggravate it and go back to square one. But most importantly, The Brewers just lost an all-star starter.
3: Yeah, and one of their best, if not the best, just speaking of talent, less than results, pitcher on the staff. Um, I mean, it's a huge loss, especially anytime you're talking about that shoulder back area um, or like anything linked to that, you get very worried about the like long-term effects that it's going to have on a pitching prospect or a pitcher. Uh, sorry. I'm so used to talking about prospects and their injuries that I can't get that out of my head. I mean, Brandon, it needless to say has been so phenomenal for the Brewers. Um, he's had, I think aside from that starting stretch where he had two starts of, uh, four earned runs in those three starts, he had one bad outing sense. No, two bad outings. That's right. Cause he had the five earned run in April. Um, And otherwise, he's been absolutely phenomenal, and he has shown potential that he could be one of the best pitchers or a top pitcher in baseball in the near future. So to lose him to injury in a time when you're trying to decide if your team is truly playoff compatible is just really scary news as a fan.
1: We're talking at 921 on Sunday night, four hours ago. And actually, I made reference to this in that last conversation that just aired, and it's already kind of before we can even publish the podcast, it becomes not completely relevant. I was of the belief that the Brewers need to be buyers, but they need to be buyers for the bullpen, and that I was comfortable with the starting rotation as it was. Let's go worst, and I guess not worst, worst case scenario, but let's go bad case scenario and say that Brandon Woodruff is going to be out upwards of six weeks. Do you think that changes the approach of David Stearns at the deadline where there's a little bit more pressure to possibly add a starting pitcher?
3: I don't know because um, I can never get inside Stearns' head. If it were traditional like general manager, if this were Melvin, I think he's calling everyone and trying to get a starting pitcher right now. But I think Stearns is the type of guy who really wants to go by his plan and whatever the plan that was mocked up going in was let's – you know, get one of these uh, few pitchers. And I agree with you that it was probably very relief heavy in the plan and they could have moved forward with their starting pitchers at now at Geo's healthy. Um, Chase Anderson's pitching the best we've seen him pitch in about two years. Um, you know, you're getting a lot of good results. Really the only bump in the road is Chasin, who has been touch and go lately. He's had a, either very good or very bad outings now you have to worry about replacing the the best or second best, depending on how you want to look at it, pitcher in the rotation. Um, But I think Stearns is so like gun ho set on doing what he wanted to do that it probably doesn't change much. I think a pitcher was probably in the uh, starting pitcher was probably in the plan anyway, because um, I think you make the bullpen stronger by acquiring a starting pitcher. So I think that kind of helped the reliever perspective. So I'm not sure that this really changes anything. Uh, I mean, based on all the rumors we've heard of, they've kept an eye on every starting pitcher available, which is the one thing you can expect is if someone is supposedly available, the Brewers are going to be checking in on them. Um, But yeah, I don't think this is going to really impact him too much on what he wants to do going forward. All right, let's jump
1: into uh, last week, and it's in the archives if you want to go find it. Last week we focused on uh, a little bit about the Rocky Mountain uh, vibes and then also the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers and the Carolina Mudcats. We're going to talk about the Biloxi Shuckers and the San Antonio Missions on our conversation this week. So as we start with AA Biloxi, it's hard to start anywhere but Corey Ray, who – We've seen him play a little bit here recently, which is uh, hes – he's been injured. Good to see him get things going just a little bit. Where are you at right now with Corey Ray?
3: Um, I think this is going to end up being a throwaway season. Okay. Uh, he's missed the last couple of games, which makes me think that um, he probably had another flare-up of that finger injury that was bothering him in AAA. Mm-hmm. Um, the finger injury made it very difficult for him to swing a bat led to poor results. I think that, and I think he was a little overmatched, but, um, you know, he, in his rehab games, he looked really good. You should look really good when you're a player of his caliber yeah. and you're going against rookie talent. Um, and then, you know, he came out of Biloxi, looked really strong, uh, had a few good performances. So, you know, uh, a couple multi-hit games, uh, got together a short hit streak, uh, then cooled off quite a bit. Um, I mean, you in the last few games, we've seen him walk a little bit more, but the strikeouts are still too high, still too high. Um, that worries me. I know it worries a lot of other Brewer fans as well. Um, but I I think it's gonna be a throwaway season, which isn't the worst thing at age 24. I know where he's a first round prospect who was drafted in 2016 and he's been developing slowly and yada, 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 yada. But 24 isn't that old for a prospect, um especially one who was drafted only a couple of years ago and only has, this is his third full professional season. Uh, even though he's a first-round pick, I still think that he has major league potential. I just It's obviously nowhere as high as advertised when he was coming out of school. Um, hopefully he can get that finger healthy, but I think that's just one of those nagging injuries they keep trying to push through, and it looks like it's not going to be healthy anytime soon. So we'll see how they go about that. Maybe uh, I don't know much about it because the advantage of being in the minors is you can be a lot more vague about the injuries than you do with the players in the major leagues. So they, you know, they just say injured finger and put him on the IL, uh, you know, send him down to the Arizona League IL um, and then hide him away until he's ready to play again. Um, If we find out anything where maybe he has surgery or something severe, then we'll hear about that. But right now it's kind of a waiting game on his health. Uh, Like I said, with him missing the last couple games. It does worry me, though, that something has flared up again with him.
1: And just for people who have not been following his season, he began the year at AAA, played to uh, mid to late May at AAA, was hitting 178, uh, went out with the injury. Went down to Arizona, played, what, I think five games there, was hitting 533 at Arizona. But you're facing high school kids. Of course, he's hitting 533. And then he most recently played six games at Biloxi. But as you make reference to, his last game that he appeared in was on Friday night, 273 at Biloxi. But like you said, I mean, unfortunately, I think we've done a lot of these conversations here the last couple years that we haven't had a lot of good stuff to say about Corey Ray. It's very, there's spurts of good followed by seemingly longer periods of not as good.
3: Right. Um, And every scouting report you see on him recently um, just doesn't, Really exude confidence. Now things can always just click in a player. We know he still has the talent that he had coming out of Louisville, a high contact, high power, high speed type of player. But right now he's looking like maybe a fourth outfielder. Um, I think he like has a lot of Keon Broxton in him, where he can play really good defense. He doesn't have the instincts I think that Keon had, but he has the speed to really make up for anything. Uh, he can be a speed threat and start a couple times, but. Uh, I think you're looking at more of a fourth outfield profile now and definitely not a superstar starter like we've imagined in the past.
1: And Let's stop for a second and let's say – and that's okay. Like, Does it stink sometimes that you draft somebody in the first round and they don't reach their complete potential? Sure, you always want to hit on every single guy, but of all the sports, the, the baseball draft is the biggest crapshoot, and it's okay if a guy just turns into – a solid major league player and doesn't turn into a superstar.
3: Right. And I mean, there's other ways to get value out of the MLB draft, which we've seen the Brewers, you know, do mightily. They also out of that same draft got Lucas Ursig, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Mario Feliciano, who's doing very well. Uh, Corbin Burns, <laughs> Zach Brown, Peyton Henry, you know, some of their best prospects are on that list and they have a lot of potential to, uh, get a lot of value out of that draft, even if it wasn't out of the very first round. And I get it's a high pick. I get you want success because it's a high pick. But like I mean, we've seen long spurts between number one overalls having any major league impact. So this isn't the most uncommon thing in the world, like you just said. And to get like some major league value, I think is still a win in some regards
1: i I agree one hundred percent. uh Jake Gatewood has been a little bit banged up through a lot of the year, but he's been able to play a bit more. His numbers aren't there again, we're looking at these guys from a kind of from a prospect perspective and uh Gatewood is he's only hitting 178 at this point. There's so much excitement about this guy, but here, unfortunately, it's another guy that we're talking about who uh, is not doing what you want him to do quite
0: yet.
3: Yeah, and I'm always a little bit easier, or easygoing in terms of evaluations on guys coming off of uh, major surgeries. So, you know, return to the season kind of late to the ACL uh, tear that he had last year. uh, Finally gets going, you know, mid to late this year like uh, mid to late may um he's been putting together a nice little stretch recently but he just gets hot makes good contact and then goes back to offers with three strikeouts Uh, the strikeouts are very you know cause for concern he has 18 over his last 10 games only won a single game without a strikeout Um, It does seem like he's gotten to the point where he's pushing very hard because, you know, he wants to come back strong. He wants to make a good impression from a season that was going very well last season, uh, getting interrupted. I mean, he had a bad first month last season, but then you look at everything after that and he was doing very well. Uh, He gets that ACL injury rather early. And then, you know, he comes back, he wants to pick right off, and you can see he's pressing at the plate. You can see that he's struggling and trying to make more happen. Um, So you just kind of hope that he gets patient, realizes that the talent's there, and stops trying to push. I think it's very similar to Travis Shaw, just for different reasons. Uh, Travis Shaw came out of the gate struggling and then pushed to try to get himself out of that struggling area and back into a high performance level, Jake Gatewood wanted to prove that the injury had no effect on him when it's hard to say. I mean, ACL injuries have very detrimental effects on players, especially players who generate a lot of power and use their legs to do that. So, I mean, hopefully with time he gets better and he can end the season strong. Um, I'm going, like I said, I'm going easier on his evaluation, but it's really hard. Like you look at these high strikeout profiles and you know, they're so volatile. They can work. They have worked in the major leagues before, but they have so much volatility to them. And like, they just tend to not find a lot of success. So it ends up being like a very negative gate grade for Jake Gatewood. And someone I think is not going to be appearing on top 30 lists, Uh, for a while and deservedly so because his performance hasn't been at the level that you've come to expect based on his recent progress that he's shown over the last couple seasons. Patrick Leonard is somebody he's a
1: veteran guy and it it almost feels like he's miscast at double a that maybe he should actually be a triple a player but he continues to perform his numbers are, are pretty solid he's a 309 hitter. How do you evaluate him? Maybe you disagree with me, but it just feels like he should be doing what he's doing, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, and I he should be doing what he's doing. I view this as more of a Biloxi was one of the areas in the farm system that didn't have a lot of prospects to go to it. Uh, because of where everyone is in their own developmental phases so their options are either sign a guy who can play a few positions or hold back a prospect they feel can make take a more advanced step so they signed patrick leonard as a minor league free agent he has three years of triple a experience uh didn't do exceptionally well there didn't do well enough to for his last team to let him go and let him sign with another team um So then the brewers sign him, pay him, and he just gets to be a body at double A that can keep the team competitive and hopefully, you know, help the players down there get good experience with winning. But I don't like in those situations where they come in, not only are you a minor league free agent, but you get knocked down a level or two from where you were. It's to me always a sign that the team views them as nothing more than organizational depth. They just think that they're someone who can play the position because they need someone to play that position. Go out there and fill that role um, and your check will be ready for you once they're on payday.
1: Trey Shupak is, as we jump over to pitchers, man, he's on a roll right now. His most recent outing, uh, seven innings, unless he pitched today, I'm not 100% sure, to be honest with you. But just, uh, Okay, seven innings, gave up just one hit. Time before, seven innings, one run on two hits. Time before, six innings, one run on six hits. Over that span he's at nine, six, 18 strikeouts and two walks. I mean, these are these are ridiculous numbers right now for him.
3: Yeah, and he has two uh, almost no-hitters. Yeah. Uh, that seven-inning game was actually a double-header, so it ended up marking as a complete game, and he went six and two-third no-hit, then gave up a hit right before he gets the out uh, and did that earlier in the season, I believe against Tennessee as well. Um, so he's had two near no hitters as near as you can get uh this season already um phenomenal stuff from him you know he's limiting his base runners very well opponent average well under 200 at 189 walks at 21 over 117 innings uh no one's getting on base against him. you would like to see higher strikeout numbers you've seen them in the past from him Uh, he's always been like a lower strikeout guy, but even 85 over 117 is a little low compared to what he's been able to accomplish in the past. And you would like to see him be a little bit more, uh, successful in that regard, but he's a great control pitcher knows how to induce bad contact. Um, I know there's been concerns in the past because he does have a larger frame. He's a really big guy. And anyone who uh, has seen him maybe during spring training on the mound sees that not only is he massive, he's six foot five, but he's also a little stout at 240. Um, So there tends to be concern because pitchers of that size tend to have some health issues. Um, So there's a little belief out there that he might end up in a relief role. Um, I think he has their ability. He can be a starter um, on the mound when he's starting, uh, sits around 92, 93, peaking at 95. Uh, His changeup has been working really well for him. He can mix in a curveball and a slider every now and then. Uh, Don't love him as much. But the big thing for him is really he's limiting uh, his fly ball tendencies, which in Miller Park, I think, is something that's always a little worrisome it's always a little because balls can carry so well you don't find fly ball pitchers having that much success in that realm so him being able to get more strikeouts or is a big deal but then also generating more ground balls and he is getting a little bit more success in that area which is a big thing you want to see for him because it's going to really determine how much he has success at the major league level and um, I see a lot of guys calling for him to replace Woodruff. Uh, I just, a lot of those times you, those strikeout pitchers, you don't see, uh, or those low strikeout pitchers, you don't see how I have much success j- making that big a jump. So I'd rather see him get his annual half season, bump up a level to triple a and see how he fares in San Antonio. Um, Where hopefully that continually improving ground ball rate, which has gone from at its lowest 32% uh, high A when he was at his first stint in Carolina, to now almost 45% this year. Um, Yeah, but I think that there's good cause to be excited with him. He's not going to be the ace that he looks like right now at double A. But I think he can be a very reliable back-end pitcher who uh, also has the durability to get a lot of innings out of the uh, back end of the rotation for the team and take a load off the bullpen and uh, be a key factor for years to come.
1: Let's get to Drew Rasmussen. He's somebody I know that's one of your, your guys in the organization, and his year is interesting. So one start at Wisconsin, just a couple innings, but he, he's fine. At
3: and Miller he, Park.
1: Yes, uh, then goes to uh carolina four games 1.59 era gets to Biloxi and starts off in dominating fashion after his first five starts his era was at 0.64. Since then, the numbers lift a little bit. He seems to be back to more dominating performances, shorter outings. But over the course of his last five outings, he's got four outings where he does not give up a run and just two runs total over that time his overall numbers at Biloxi the 4.15 ERA I'm more concerned with what he's done here recently but I mean this we've talked about him before he's a guy who's really getting pushed through the system and it's a very good sign to see what he's been really doing since the last week of June
3: Right. Huge fastball. Uh, he's been getting a lot better with the slider and he has a decent changeup as well. You know, a long term starter when he was at the Oregon before getting drafted, um, but then gets drafted in the first round, has the two Tommy Johns, uh, falls to the Brewers in the sixth round last year. And here we have a gift. The big thing that determined Rasmussen's success is walks. If you look at his outings, most of the bad outings are the ones where he had walks. And most of the good outings, he only has one or two walks if or none. Um, so if you look, he had a scoreless inning str- stretch where he went four games when six, eight, nine, ten and a third only gave up two walks and no runs through that stretch. Last two innings, three walks, ends up giving up two earned runs. So control is huge for him. Um, a lot is he's still learning to throw a slider. And after almost two, three years off baseball, um, I think it's excusable that a guy who throws 99 with a low 90 slider has a little issue uh, controlling it every single time he goes on the mound. Uh, But he definitely has major league talent, Um, could be a big trade chip too. I think a lot of teams are interested in that profile, especially if any team views him as a starter. However, he could be a back end of the bullpen killer for a long time. Um, and I think that's where most teams see him because of the Tommy John, uh, little, a little bit easier to keep the workload lighter back there. However, when he was throwing relief, it was also when he was having his, some of his worst outings. So when you look at Biloxi, like June 5th to June 24th, uh, those were all relief outings where he struggled. And from what I hear is he did have a little bit of difficulty, um, getting used to that routine. So then they get him back to starting, uh, from June 24th through now, uh, he has a little bit more success. We'll see if they can't transition him more into that bullpen role and get him more in the mindset, warming up quickly, getting in the game. Um, yeah, but he's, I mean, 99 miles per hour on the fastball and that beautiful breaking pitch can be very dominant and come up um, and really do some damage in that back end. You could see him in September, Before I was guessing maybe late August and they try to get him in a playoff spot, but now based on the recent trouble he's had at Double A, I don't think that's realistic anymore. Uh, But I think he next year he's going to be a big factor in the bullpen for the Brewers. Last week we talked about. How you kind
1: of take a second look at pitchers who are used strictly as relievers in the minor leagues because a lot of times even guys who have the profile to be relievers in the big leagues, they'll work them as starters in the minors to give them the opportunity to work on pitches. Somebody who does not fall and that chance, it's... For some pitchers, that stays through all the way through their minor leagues. For other pitchers, you start to kind of fall off that as you get to double-A AA or triple-A. Uh, another one of the Brewers' top 30 prospects is Devin Williams. He has worked exclusively out of the bullpen this year. He has not been a closer, really. He, he's he got uh, three saves, so, and they've all come since June 21st. So he, he hasn't been back into the bullpen but his numbers are, are pretty good, 7-2, and 2.41 2. ERA. Batting average against is 179, strikeout to walk, 74-29. to 29. I mean, it, it's hard to argue with the raw numbers right now from Williams.
3: Right, and most importantly is he's a 600 hitter. Um, <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. <and, laughs> um, Yeah, so this is – let me explain why Williams is the exception to the rule I went through last week. Williams is two factors going for him. He was a starter for a long time in the organization before they transitioned him to relief, meaning that they just think they can get more of his profile from relief. And he went through a significant injury in that he had Tommy John in 2016, which made him miss all of 20. 2017, before he came back. I think he had it actually at the beginning of 2017, um, and then he came back late into 2018, uh, where he still started a few times. Now they view him as like, all right, how do we get use out of him? Because it's coming up on the point where they either had to protect him via uh, Rule 5 or expose him to the rest of the league. So what do you do with a 98-mile-per-hour fastball and a great changeup? Yeah, put him in the bullpen. And it's been going so well um the brewers lone representative in the futures game um his he's always been lauded for having exceptional control um and that's been helping you know his already very powerful stuff play up in the bullpen you know he limits walks more than most relievers do um and then he's been able to get more strikeouts than he's ever had in his career because you know he can just go right at attack hitters. Uh, the slider has also come a long way, which has been a huge tool for him. And I I mean, I believe he's going to be a big contributor to the back end of the bullpen. Uh, he's had a great strand rate. He's getting bad contact, which is intru- her inducing more ground balls than he's ever induced before. Um, and then just that hefty 12.73 K per nine is always good to look at. Um, so I did lie a little bit. His walks per nine is around five, uh, which is high. But as a reliever, you don- that doesn't ever really bother you if it's a little high, as long as the strand rate matches up. Yeah. Strand rate around 80 percent. No biggie. Uh, and he's also limiting batters to a very low average, which makes, you know, the walks substantially less detrimental. So I really like him in this role. I like that it's a way to get a former top pick for the organization. Yes, he was in the second round, but he was the top pick because they signed Kyle Zalosh that year. Hashtag addendum. Um, he was the top pick that year, and it's an easy way for them to get value out of a guy with, you know, a very exciting arsenal. So I'm very happy for him. He's still just 24. It feels like he was drafted a decade ago, but he was drafted out of high school, still very young. Um, and, I mean, he's had s- – just been more dominant than he's been throughout his career. Uh, The last time he had shown really this good of a season was in 2016 before he came up to then Brevard before they moved over to Carolina. Um, And he was with the Timber Rattlers and had a pretty good outing there. But, you know, he, I think he even still has his perfect uh, inning streak going. Yep. Over the last one, two, three, four, five, six games, covering five, six and two thirds innings, he's been perfect. Uh, no hits, no walks, and 12 strikeouts. So. I mean, I think he's going to go up to AAA soon. Could be a factor later in the season, maybe in September. Um, deserves the 40-man spot that he's going to get. And another exciting bullpen pitcher. And one of a few guys who's really invented themselves out of the bullpen this year at Biloxi.
1: Yeah. I. He's – a month ago we would have said the guy at Biloxi who has the most possible chance – of being a brewer this year would have been Rasmussen. I think we, we take a step back off of him. Isn't it Williams now? Yeah. Not, and I'm not yeah. predicting that he's that that's going to happen. But if we've got to choose one guy who's currently at Biloxi who has the highest probability
3: of being a brewer this year, it's got to be him. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think coming in, Rasmussen had the most major league, quote unquote, stuff. Um, and had like that major league arsenal, I think Devin Williams is fine-tuned enough that he showed that he can be that pitcher um, and he can do the things that the t- org wants. He can go two or three innings. He can, you know, come in in the middle of an inning and then stay in for the next inning. He's very flexible. You know, he has 52 innings in 30 games. So that just shows you that he's pretty u- used to going multiple innings. Um, I still think they need to get him that, look at triple a and see how he handles more advanced hitting. But yeah, I, I think he's surpassed Rasmussen as if you like have a power ranking of likely bullpen contributors, he's gone over Rasmussen probably by a couple spots.
1: For as few top thirty position players they have, they've got a good number of position or pitchers. And the last guy we'll talk about in terms of top thirty is Marcos Diplan. For me, the thing I look at this guy and this guy who just keeps—he's a—he's appeared in twenty-eight games, two and four, four point nine four ERA. He's brought his—I mean, you look at where he was at. On May 10th, he had an 8.20 ERA. He's clearly improved since then. That's the story on him, right? That he. Well, what's wait, the
3: difference uh, in that? Look at the inning counts.
1: Moving from being a uh, moving from being a starter early
3: on is the point you're making. Yep, he yep. moved from starting to relief. He got the walks down. Is getting high numbers of strikeouts. Um, and it's a place where I feel he can be more successful in a place where I mentioned to a few people based on his control issues, I think he should have been the whole time. Um, I'm happy they tried him where they did, but, he's just always been so wild, just like uncontrollable. And as a starter, when you look at his splits, that really reflects, and then you give him a little leeway, knowing that, so he's a three eight six era and his twenty thirty five innings in relief, but it did take him a little while to adjust. He had like three or four bad games, and sent, settled down into a really, really nice role, but in those thirty five innings, he has twenty five walks, pretty wild, not unheard of for a reliever in the nineteen and two thirds innings that he had as a starter in five games, he had eleven walks, uh, which is Substantially worse because you have more opportunities to make those extra base runners be detrimental outcomes, which is what they were converting into, which is why he had a near seven ERA during that time. Um, they transition him where you know his mid nineties, high nineties fastball can play up a lot. He can use his breaking pitch a little or his slider a little bit more aggressively, still walk a bit, but he is a strikeout pitcher and he can really keep uh batters off guard and i like this transition so much i think it makes him a relevant prospect again um it's and he had worked himself in the first 10 or so games into irrelevant status in my opinion because he was having the exact same problems at the exact same level that he had the year before um comes to bloxy just walks everybody um and the control was a huge issue that was going to prevent him. Here in a reliever, you can deal with that control in issues in a smaller space, and it doesn't come back to be as detrimental to you in the long run. Let's
1: jump to AAA, and when we talk about AAA, it's always a combination of talking about prospects and also talking about some veteran guys that are available if the Brewers need them. And the first guy we'll talk about is a prospect, but it's also somebody who has already made his Major League debut in Mauricio Dubon. There's, there's been people, and I know Tyler Saladino hit the Grand Slam on Sunday, and that certainly is going to give him a little bit more rope probably moving forward. We'll see what happens and, and how he follows that up with. There's been fans who have been calling for Mauricio Dubon to replace Tyler Saladino and it doesn't seem like the organization wants to do that because they want to be able to make sure that Dubon continues to play every day. Some would even say they want to make sure that they don't drop his value leading into the trade deadline. I, I, I can't comment on that. I don't know if there's any r- truth to that. But I do know that they're, they very much want him to play every day. So now it just seems like more than anything else, just kind of a waiting game for Dubon.
3: All right. To me, it's either Arcia plays himself out of starting every day. If Arcia plays his way out of starting every day, Dubon's the next one up. Saladino's just there because they needed a right-hand bat, but they needed a guy to give Arcia a day off every now and then. That's why Saladino was the next one. Perez wasn't getting the job done, either Saladino. Um, so that's why he was selected to be a utility player who plays shortstop. Um if you wanted a guy to start every day, you play Dubon. Dubon also doesn't necessarily have the longevity of playing different positions that Saladino has, where you could fit him in in a regular basis, playing in the outfield, playing at second, playing at short, playing at third, um, and necessarily doesn't have the skill set to do be successful in that role. Um, I think he has the tools to be successful in the infield, and I think part of that is he has great speed and range at short. He doesn't have the arm that uh, Orlando Arcia does. He doesn't have the natural ability that Orlando Arcia does. I've seen some people say they have uh, equivalent defense. No, that is not true. Uh, Orlando Arcea has instinctually some of the best defense in the game, uh, even if we haven't seen it as much as we normally do this season. But he is one of the top three or four shortstop defenders just in terms of natural ability in baseball right now. Dubon is not that but he is projected to be a better offensive player um, with adequate defense that can get the job done. Um, and I, I get wanting him up. Prospects are exciting. Guys with a future, guys with some promise are more exciting than guys that we've already seen before, especially when they are failing as bad as Saladino was or as bad as Hernan Perez was. But I don't think the option is to set Dubon up into fail, or failure where he's expected to play multiple positions that he can't maybe doesn't even yeah. have experience playing um, and also play part time. I think the ideal thing is you, either Arcia plays his way out of a job um, and then Dubon or an injury happens and then Dubon comes up every day. Um, and I think that's the right thing to do, and I think the org's smart for doing that. If you want to do even a time with Dubon and Arcia at shortstop, I think that's fine, but the issue is then you need to find someone to back up those other spots. Who's that going to be? And why not just have one player who can do- fill those two roles rather than having to expand your bench for almost assuredly risking your bullpen depth, which has been one of the biggest negative factors of late for the team
1: look it's just the nature of the conversation about triple a that we get into the big leagues a little bit because everything's all kind of connected and i think involved in this conversation is the fact that keston here is with the brewers now keston here is a second baseman period Aaron perez is not around anymore Tyler Saladino can go play in the outfield, as you just alluded to. Travis Shaw is not there anymore. So, Travis Shaw was a guy who could play third, second, and first. Aaron Perez is a guy who can play anywhere. Tyler Saladino is a guy who can go play in the outfield. The way Craig Council likes to manage, the way you manage in the National League, really the way baseball is becoming more and more positionless, anytime you have a player on the 25-man roster who can only play one position, it hamstrings you a little bit, and it makes it that much more important that you have other guys who can play more positions. And with Aaron Perez going away and Travis Shaw going away and Keston Hira coming up, and even Tyler Saladino, because Saladino is not – he can't play as many positions as Aaron Perez. Uh, The Brewers have lost a little bit in terms of flexibility, and then that comes back to impact how you view Mauricio Dubon, because you're not just going to throw him out in the outfield just because he's going to take that roster spot. So there's a lot going on there.
3: Absolutely, and I think – You just that's like you said, that's not how Craig Council plays baseball. That's not how he manages baseball. He wants someone who can fill that role. Uh, The only other one who can fill it as well, who's doing pretty well, um, especially as of late, is Corey Spangenberg. Um, But he lost his 40 man spot a while ago. So I don't think that's happening anytime soon without a Saladino DFA.
1: If Tyler Saladino doesn't hit that grand slam on Sunday, and I'm look, I'm really happy that he did. He, he's a good guy, and he's a team-first guy, and I appreciate the fact that he hit that, and, and he put up huge numbers at AAA. But Craig Council recently had been talking more about kind of the leash of Tyler Saladino getting a little shorter and shorter. If he doesn't hit that grand slam on Sunday, I wouldn't have been shocked to see Corey Spangenberg with the Brewers on Monday
3: yeah I think Saladino earned himself another week yeah um that's a huge hit in a time when the team really really needed it that kept them in the game um when Saladino has been quite the dud at the plate where in that situation, I think most fans were just expecting the inning to end one way or another so yeah it's it's huge and it definitely earned him more time and flexibility um and if it wasn't Monday, it'd be midweek. I agree with you, but, though, it was going to be an inevitability. Lucas Arasig is hitting 205. Reason to be concerned? Uh, I go back and forth on this one. Because um, if you look at some of the numbers that kind of support. Uh, or, like, help inform us about what batting average means, like BAPIP, you know, batting average on balls in play. It's very, very low. It's at 227 right now for him. Um, his walks are higher, but his strikeouts are also higher, which gives you the impression that he's struggling at the plate. Uh, Meanwhile, he's hitting the bar- ball pretty hard, so I think he's just into an tremendous amount of bad luck. Uh, he had a great April, looked very good. He still looked good, and has been, looked like he's kind of coming out of this little uh, and yeah, by little, I mean gigantic slump that he's in. Um, I th- so, what his average was? I'm sorry, I'm looking at his daily right now, and it was at 197 on July 13th, and he's raised it to 205 just in the past five or so games um the OPS is for the guy I like his tool set uh you know good defense great arm good power but even with the BABIP I mean this is another season where how long can you make excuses for the guy when he continues to struggle he you know it's 248 last year. Yeah, part of that was getting hit in the face with a baseball, but also the power wasn't really there with his 382 uh slugging percentage. This year the slugging percentage is a little better. He has a 713 OPS, but still lower than you expect someone with his profile to be at. So I don't blame anyone for losing a little bit of hope on Ursig's profile. I still think he has potential to be an everyday player. Um his defense is just so fun. He misplaces balls occasionally because he has like very stiff movements when he's going to get a ball. But just his arm is so exciting, um, and he definitely has thirty run power in his bat. But if he doesn't make contact, what does thirty power, you know, thirty home run power mean? Um, especially if his strikeout rate is going to go up higher, I would say uh re-evaluate him at the end of the season if he's back up to 250 i consider that a success if he's still below 220 i mean we really had to drop our expectations for what he could have been
1: kind of the same question with troy stokes another top 30 prospect who is also having a hard time uh really putting it all together his Again, going back to batting average, he's sitting at 214. His OPS isn't anything special at this point. 688 from a walk standpoint. He's drawn 28 and, what, 206 at bats. So uh, another top 30 guy that people have been excited about, but isn't putting it all together right now.
3: Yeah, I I mean, Troy Stokes is going to repeat AAA next year. Regardless, I mean, I, any outfielder is going to repeat AAA because there's nowhere for them to go. Yeah. But. Um, even if there was a spot, even if a guy we'll talk about later in Grisham isn't there. Um, he I mean, it's just been an awful throwaway season for him. Uh, you expect a lot more of his performance. Speed hasn't been there, which is normally there. Uh, I mean, he's been a 30, 20 or regular 20 stolen base thread. Um, and he just hasn't been able to run as well. Um, it's been a really disappointing for a guy that I'm quite a fan of. I really like his profile. But the thing is, Stokes needs to play like a starter or he can't play. He has the speed to man every and instincts to man every outfield position. He tracks balls really well. But he has a better than but still comparable arm to Chris Davis. And that's an arm that can only play in left field. So if he wants to play, he needs to be a starter. And it does not he is not putting up starter numbers and he needs to have much better performance on this, especially San Antonio is not or, uh Colorado Springs, but it's a very friendly hitting environment regardless. And the whole so league to, is. Yeah, the whole PCL is yeah. just the world's friendliest hitting environment um and to struggle like this when you've had offensive performances before that weren't necessarily spectacular but were good enough to continue your progression this is bad news in terms of uh his future outlook i really like Troy Stokes i've always enjoyed him he's a great guy um and i think he does have a bat that can do a lot of good for a major league team um and just like skill set with his speed um and power combination is Something that's very good. And I think he could even potentially win a gold glove in left field just because he can track everything down, uh, even without the arm to gun ho- runners down at home plate. But there's just you can't do this and there's no playing time for you at the major leagues if you're going to be a 214 hitter and the team will probably have to DFA him sooner than later because they're going to need to make room for other people who have earned a 40-man roster spot, and he hasn't.
1: These are always interesting conversations because at times we get to guys who have a fair amount of time in the big leagues, and that's certainly the case with Jacob Nottingham. Brewers fans very familiar with him. When the Brewers need a third catcher, it's Nottingham they go to. What do we say? He is who he is at this point, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot more to say about him. And, and until he's given probably an opportunity to be an everyday guy at the major leagues, we're really not going to get an idea of what he can do with the big leagues. I don't know if that opportunity is going to come with the Brewers or not. And it, the the system is so loaded with catchers behind him too. It's just, it, it's not a great situation from a personal standpoint for Jacob Nottingham right now.
3: At this point, I think he's a great backup catcher um, has improved his defense substantially from where he was Uh, When the Brewers traded for him, he was only an offensive catcher who everyone said it will only be a matter of time before he moves to first base. Now, I think he's a solid backup catcher. He can frame all right. Um, He's a much better receiver than he used to be. But, I mean, the bat just doesn't have the excitement that it had coming into the organization when they traded Chris Davis for him. Um, Every now and then you'll see... Sparks and even recently, he wasn't doing performing too badly. Um, you know, as recent as the beginning of June, he was hitting 271 with a 376 on base percentage, 439 slugging. That's not bad in a fair amount of games, but then he goes on this semi slump and um, he just isn't doing well. The other thing though, and I think this might be reflective of. How the Brewers feel about him is he's losing playing time at catcher. Um, So that's not good if you're really his big plus is that he could be a catcher. And if you're not going to play there as often as you probably should, he's been playing a lot of first base because David Freitas, or I think that's how you pronounce Freitas. I think it's Freitas, Uh, but yeah. What do you think it is? I think it's Freitas. Freitas, yeah. David Freitas has uh, shows you how often I watch these games with the sound on, um, but has outplayed him substantially from an offensive standpoint, uh, and has earned taken a lot of the catching opportunities from him. So, I think it's just you know this, like you said, he is who he is, and it's disappointing, but he'll he'll be a great backup. Catchers someday. <laughs> that's that's okay. Which isn't which isn't bad. Yeah. But when you're looking at a return for who Chris Davis is in Oakland, you mm-hmm. would hope for a little bit more than that. So I get why fans would be disappointed in that outcome.
1: Last two position players to get to their number, number, number twenty nine and number twenty third at number thirty on the MLB pipeline uh, top thirty list. It's kind of interesting to compare the two, and maybe it's not fair. You have Tyrone Taylor is currently banged up. He's hitting two twenty four, and you have Trent Grisham who's killing it, hitting three forty nine. These two guys seem to be in very, very different places.
3: Is Trent Grisham killing it? Because he didn't hit a home run today, last I checked. Yes, so, he's killing. I you. mean, <laughs> very disappointing. Uh, so let's start with the bad news. Um, I had a lot of hope for Tyrone Taylor. You know, finally getting healthy, finally. Able to see regular playing time, comes out, and when he starts the season, just has phenomenal results. Uh, his April, he's hitting 309, 371, 519. Since then, uh, in May and June, hits well below 200. And now, in July, he's finally having success, but he has not gotten a lot of playing time, like you said, because he's been banged up. Uh, has 11 games between June and July. Hard to evaluate, but based on the struggles he had in May and June, that bodes bad for him. Um, I thought he was legitimately a fourth outfield candidate for the Brewers. Um, if Ben Gamble were to get injured or they needed a fifth uh, outfielder for some reason or another, maybe they wanted a ready hitter. Uh, I thought I was pretty happy when he made the 40 men because he was a top Brewers prospect. Uh, maybe I think he was even number one at one point. Uh, I know he definitely held the number two spot. Um, I think it was him and Arcia holding one and two. So, and it's all dependent on what list you look at, but anyway, enough about how top 30 lists work. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of fourth outfield ceiling for Taylor. Uh, he's had multiple tries, uh, but has had, had so many injuries recently that really stagnated his rise through the system. Uh, you know, he looked so good when he debuted at Biloxi in 2015, uh, the, Lots of reason to be excited. And then holds up at Biloxi, gets injured, doesn't go anywhere, and ends up not really advancing much from there. Uh, big bummer, in my opinion, because he does have really good defense. Uh, power isn't great, but it's adequate. Um, maybe isn't the most dynamic offensive outfielder, but I think an ideal type in terms of high contact and adequate power. That is the one that can really be a great backup outfielder. So I don't know. I think his, his rise is over. He's been surpassed by other outfield. and I think he'll continue to be surpassed by other outfielders who will get shots before him. So I don't think he continues progressing through the system, and I think he ends up not being a brewer um, after the season when he gets DFA'd to make room for other 40-man roster at
1: To me, the most disappointing performance so far AAA, and we've we talked about how good of a hitter's league the PCL is. Well, sometimes that also turns into it being a horrible pitcher's league, but Zach Brown... 6.01 ERA. He hasn't pitched since July 3rd. I'm not completely aware of what's going on there, so I'll, I'll rely on you a little bit there, but uh, it just it hasn't come together for him.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, he was someone I had very high expectations for myself. Um, comes in having a meteoric rise. We all expect him to be the new Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, to be fair, Hayter, Woodruff, Ant Burns all had similar troubles at AAA, but they were also at a substantially worse pitcher's park. Um He just his control's gone. He's always been such a good control pitcher, and now he has more walks that he's thrown in his 82 innings this year than he had in his uh, 127 innings last year. The 125 innings, uh, or uh, no, sorry, that's the same year. I'm just reading the box score wrong. Uh, the 36, he had in his 110 innings the year before. So the control just isn't there. Um, I watch him and he's struggling to locate his pitches, which is where all the issue is coming from. Um, Players are hitting him around. It's the highest average of his career in over in instances where he's pitched more than even 30 innings. Um, so I'm not really sure if there's an injury there. My understanding is he was getting a break kind of with the all-star break worked in, um, but we haven't seen him since. Uh, I, I think we'll see him soon. I think they're just taking the time because they had an off a couple off days to work with to try to work with him and get that control right. Cause his delivery is off and that's causing control issues. And that's causing him to have a lot of problems this year where he's getting hit up in situations where he's never been hit up before. I don't think this year is necessarily representative of him. I think we should still be excited about him as a prospect. He still has, you know, very historically, very good control. I think this is an anomaly. Um, and I think it's, at least with the analytics and tools that the Brewers have at their disposal, I think it's something that the team will be able to fix one way or another.
1: Yeah, and I hope I don't say, sound like I'm giving uh, – anybody who listens to my post game show, and as we've talked about people like Corbin Burns and so forth, I'm the one who's always preaching to people that evaluate, or excuse me, uh, developing pitchers is a process, and there's a lot of kind of starting and stopping and things like that, and that's just the way things are. So in no way, shape, or form am I sitting here saying because it's a disappointing year that he's not still going to become a very good major league pitcher, but I do like everything that you just alluded to. There are reasons to be concerned with what's going on with
3: him this year. Yeah, um, and it's 100% hinging on that control. He needs to fix it, or he's not going to go anywhere. I think he will. I think the team has shown that they're very good at helping pitchers fix their delivery and their command. Um, Even when Derek Johnson wasn't helping them, when you're looking at more of a pitching organization philosophy and what they've been able to do to help develop prospects in the minors the past few years. I know a lot of people feel that without Derek Johnson, you can't develop pitchers anymore. No, I think the team is very good at that. And I think they'll be able to pinpoint what is causing his issues with his control. Non top thirty guy, but a guy that that's
1: interesting is Luke Barker, two point six three ERA. He's got a he's got a fun story as
3: well. Is this somebody who's going to pitch in the big leagues? Uh, I think he has the chance to. You know, signs from Indie Ball fights his way onto the team uh, in 2017 uh, and has climbed up pretty aggressively ever since, you know, starts the year in Biloxi makes his way up to her triple a and has had a great time at triple a ever since. Uh, I think he has the stuff to do it. his power fastball is his high nineties fastball is a lot of fun to watch and he can get a bunch of strikeouts just with that alone. Um, And I think whenever you're the type of pitcher who can, Dominate hitters with just that one pitch. Uh, the potential's there for him. I see him as kind of like a John Axford type story, as he can be a dominant pitcher in the back end of a bullpen, as a guy who people didn't even want to sign for a time, and you know goes through any ball, fights through it, develops himself, and here we have a legitimate reliever. Um, again, he skips the I only like or I don't like if you haven't pitched as more than just the reliever thing, because he came in or as an older player, um, had to make the adjustments that the team thought he had to make as he makes those at each level. Then he gets moved up as long as he's finding success while making those adjustments, and he has done that all throughout. I think he's a major leaguer, um, and I think he's going to be a very fun power pitcher out of the pen for them probably more sixth or seventh inning i don't know if he's going to be set up but i think he'll get a couple years where uh he ends up having that john axford type opportunity to pitch out of the back of the bullpen probably not as closer because there just happens to be another brewers player who's probably going to hold that down for the rest of his brewers tenure um but still a significant contributor in the pen for the brewers
1: all right last thing for you this is incredibly important Why'd they send my guy, Nate Grape, back to double A?
3: Because they only needed him at triple A for a little bit. So it was more to have a body there while they needed him.
1: But he was good. And he, he's a he's, he's from the greatest university in the history of
3: mankind. He's from Kansas Yeah, three walks in an inning and two thirds is good. Don't, great. don't, 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 be <laughs> I mean, oh, God, he's going to be an all-star one day. Uh, probably a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's going to be so amazing. Yeah. Um, and the Brewers made a big mistake in setting him down. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, he has, by the way, he has a zero ERA at AAA. Yeah, yeah, miracles do happen. And I mean, he, he deserved it. He's a great pitcher and uh, really helped his team.
1: And he was so upset that he has zero ERA at AAA, and he went back to AA Biloxi. He was so upset by that, he gave up two runs in his first uh, time back, jumping his uh, AA ERA from 1.51 to 1.96.
3: Didn't he still get the save
1: for that one, too, though? Yes, he did. Okay. And now it's 1.83 after he threw two and two-thirds scoreless his most recent outing, which was today. Yep. Which is Sunday, which is when we're talking. But people aren't yes. hearing this on Sunday. All right, Brad. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did I miss somebody? I
3: never made it back to Trent Grisham after we were talking about Tyrone Taylor. <laughs> That's oh. on me. Okay, I'm sorry. No. So, Trent Grisham. Yes, it's real. It's been too long to not be real. He's been hitting like this basically all season except for maybe April. Stop asking me if it's real. It's real. We should be excited. He's 22. He finally found his niche. Uh, he's always had a great eye at the plate. He's just now actually being aggressive at the plate, and he's making good contact and finding a lot of success. He's a great outfielder. It's, he's a good center fielder. Great left fielder, uh, still kind of a so-so arm, but this is all real. Um, the, I don't think he's going to hit like 30, 40 home runs at the major leagues because I think the league he's playing in is helping his power look better. But I do think he's a very good hitter, and I do think the fans should be excited. Don't not be excited just because he hasn't been this way in the past. It's just sometimes when you come in as a high schooler, it takes a while to click. He got another go around at Biloxi to give him time to click. It clicked. It clicked. Be excited. He's good. It's thrilling. Uh, It's a first round pick that's working out. And yes, he could be the heir apparent for Ryan Braun in left field. Major league arrival date Uh, tomorrow. No, uh, 2021. Okay. Um, I only because where else do you play him? He needs to play every day, but where do you play him? Um, unless you bring him up and you do the Domingo Santana thing where you do a lot of share time with him. Actually, no. He'll be up next year whenever that period is where either Yelich uh, goes on his 10-day minimal DL stint or IL stint, and Ryan Braun does his, like, two 10-day IL stints. So he'll get, like, 30 days in the majors next year. But he needs to play regularly, um, although there is a pretty good chance he gets traded, uh, I think, in the offseason. Hmm. But not this upcoming deadline? No, I don't think so. I don't think they're going to do a big enough trade to trade him. Uh, He's on the table, yeah, but I don't think he is going anywhere until the offseason. Where because would- there's no one assigned in the offseason, so I think there's going to be more opportunities to get trades that are more favorable to the Brewers in that time, where for some reason we took away the uh, any trades in August and everyone's still in it, so no one's really trading, and the teams that are trading don't really have substantial pieces to give up.
1: All right, so real, real quick before I get you out of here, because this is interesting, because from a, from a prospect ranking standpoint, he's not near the top, he's near the bottom. But not that trades are made based off prospect rankings and when they redo the rankings here pretty soon, I'm sure he is definitely gonna move up. I look at the rankings, and I've talked about this a lot recently. I look at Bryce Terrain, Corey Ray, Tristan Lutz, Mauricio Dubon, and Zach Brown. Those are your top five according to MLB pipeline at the going in. And again, that's a good change. And I say to trade any of those guys, you gotta you gotta get a pretty major player back. After that, I think there's a pretty big—I don't know a lot about Joe Gray, who comes in at number 6, so he's kind of the unknown for me. But after that, you know, when you get to Lucas Ersig and on, there's this sense for me that that's where moves are to be made if they're just going to bring in solid bullpen pitchers. If you're redoing the old top 30, where do you put Grisham?
3: Top 10. Okay. Um, Probably around 8 or 9. Because even you always have to give them that little buffer space. This is just how prospect rating works uh, because he doesn't have long term success. So even though I believe it's real, I got to bump it up, uh, bump him back still, you know? Do you agree? Oh, I didn't you. read Keston Hira came off the uh, top 30. Yeah. Oh, God, man, I got to fix some things. So Bryce Terang is your number one prospect in the organization. Yeah. Um, And I do actually disagree with you in terms of uh, where you get return for your top four or five prospects because I just don't think the farm is as good as it used to be. So I think your two to five are actually players who um, you can trade for mid-level guys like, you know, your Gio Gonzalez's last year, your uh, Mike Moustakas's get rentals. Not Mike Moustakas this year. Mike Moustakas last year was only... He was beneficial to the team, but he wasn't like a superb upgrade that or like a super. It's not something we're going to go back through time and talk about. Aside from that, he played for us this year. Um, So I don't really think that anyone besides Tereng is enough to get a uh, substantial return anyway. So maybe Dubon just because he's knocking on the door. All right. So, you, you put the line
1: between Terang and Ray where I put the line between Brown and Gray? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, take me through uh, where folks can follow you and what you've got going on over at Brew Crew
3: Ball. All right. Go follow me at Brew Crew Blue on Twitter. You'll love it, I'm sure. Um, don't because block I them. only t- tweet the greatest stuff and I don't talk politics. Okay. So, uh, and then on a Brew Crew Ball. Uh, brewcrewball.com is where you can find all my great articles, you know, daily updates on the minors, uh, weekly kind of run throughs on what they do statistically. and then Every now and then we try to either get an interview or a look at why a minor league player is having success, talk to them, get it straight from their mouth. Or, uh, you know, talk to someone who's maybe had an interesting journey through the minors, but we try to tell their story, get you excited about prospects that we're excited about. Um, Maybe off the top 30 names you don't know yet, but should know, like Dylan Vile, I think is definitely one of those. He's pitching for double A. And he's one that Kyle actually did a piece for. So I share the minor league workload occasionally. Um, it's always great stuff over there. You know, I'm always happy to talk miners too. So, you know, leave something in the comments. I read the comments when I can, um, and I'll try to talk to you or hit me up on Twitter. Great stuff. We will talk again very very soon. Can't wait.
1: That was Brad Ford joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered. By WTMJ mobile here's what's coming up this week for the crew they've got a three game series at home against the Reds Monday Tuesday Wednesday Monday and Tuesday 710 first pitch and then on Wednesday it's an afternoon game at 1:10 they will take Thursday off and then they will get uh, the Cubs in for a big three game weekend series starting on Friday this is going to be a standard 710 610 110 weekend 710 on Friday 610 on Saturday and 1-10. 110 on Sunday. Kind of fun to start looking ahead to what's going to be, you know, we now as we approach the month of August, you got the light at the end of the tunnel and the way the Brewers use the bullpen and what the Brewers did yesterday, not yesterday, last year, in terms of relief pitching and everything, uh, it's notable. You know, last year they had all those off days. They had every off day, uh every Thursday as an off day during the month of September and that really helped them do some things. When we start looking at the number of off days that are coming up, that can play into the Brewers' favor. So this upcoming week, they'll take Thursday off. The next week, they will take Monday off. Next week after that, the week of uh, August 5th, they'll have Thursday off. The week of August 12th, they'll have Monday and Thursday off. The week of August 19th, they'll have Thursday off. The week of August 26th, they'll have Thursday off. In September, on the week of uh, September 2nd, they'll have Wednesday off. Then they start a stretch of not many days off, and this might be a stretch that really makes or breaks the Brewers' se- uh, season if they're in in the running. You know, it's a very different September this year than last year. The August that I just described is kind of what the September was last year with all the off days. Well, now they're getting that in aug- August, and this year September is going to be pretty darn tough. Uh, The week of September 2nd, they'll have Wednesday off, and then starting on Thursday, September 5th, going until Sunday, September 22nd, they are not going to have a single day off. That's going to be 14, 15, 16, 17. That's going to be 18 straight games. Uh, They're going to have one four-game series against the Cubs one three-game series, check that, one four-game series against the Marlins, a three-game series against the Cardinals, a four-game series against the Padres, and a three-game series against the Pirates. When they get done with that, they're going to then go into the final week of the season, which is going to be six games on the road. They are going to get an off day after that on that Monday, the 23rd in September, but then they go into six road games. So September's going to be tough. And September's not that far away. I get that we're talking in July and there's an entire month, but when you start kind of breaking down what's ahead of this team as they go down the home stretch, we are not that far off from the month of September, which is going to be an absolute gauntlet for the Brewers to go through. Not so much because of the teams they play, although there are they're playing some tough teams in there. They've got the Astros, they've got the Cubs, they've got the Cardinals. They've got a Pirates team that sometimes they match up against better than others. They've got a Padres team that's not bad. Uh, But it's just all the games that they play in September, and I think that's worth just kind of keeping in the back of your mind about what's going to be coming up moving forward. All right, again, my thanks to uh, my guest this week, Tony Beddock, WTMJ News' Tony Beddock, and also Brew Crew Ball's Brad Ford. We look forward to talking to you next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ.
0: Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.